Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Hey everybody, thank you for the welcome. Good morning. Big welcome if you were new. Maybe you don't know this, but I've actually been with the church for about, working with the church for about 10 months. And before that, I was with InterVarsity. I work with college students. And I want to give a special plug to InterVarsity because they're the ministry that we are highlighting this morning. InterVarsity is a college ministry that is working on college campuses all over the country. And we have our North County InterVarsity crew that's here this morning in the back. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. That's Josh in the orange, that's Ariel in the black, and my beautiful, beautiful wife, Stacy, right there in the blue. Come on now. Woo, gotta give extra props. They are raising money to fund scholarships so that unchurched college students can come to our, their fall retreat. And I want to tell you something. For many of us, we think of college campuses as a place where students go to lose their faith. It doesn't have to be. What if it's a place for students to get to the place of the greatest passion and love for Jesus ever in their life up to that moment? And what if the college campus can be a mission field for these college students? And these guys are going to be taking students to camp. So if you'll go out there and carry your cross this morning and buy a donut, make a contribution... Whoever said carrying our crosses couldn't taste good once in a while? All right, buy a donut, support some college students. All right, you guys? All right, here we go. So let's get to the message. I'm so excited. Me and Jesus have been in the kitchen cooking this up for y'all, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, when we want something to really, when we're, we want something we're saying to really stick with somebody, what do you do? When you want something you're saying to really stick my grandmother, she would always have this habit when she wanted me to really get what she was saying. She would grab me by the arm, and you know, because she's Mexican-American, she'd say, mijito, and she would always touch me. And I always knew when she really wanted to make her point, she'd, be, she'd reach out her grandma hand, you know, and she just, sometimes it was like a magnet. She would come and just get me, you know, and she'd say, mijito. And then she'd give me her, her pearls of wisdom, always put the toilet seat down. What do you do when you want someone to really remember what you're saying? Well, one of the things we all probably do is we repeat ourselves, and so does the Bible. So in Isaiah 6, when uh, the angels are worshiping God, they say, holy, holy, holy. And the repetition of holy is to capture the inexpressible, unapproachable holiness of God. Or like in Mark, the gospel of Mark, he repeats the word immediately, 35 times, twice what anybody else does to communicate the urgency of the coming kingdom of God. One thing that really stands out in the gospel is that they all repeat and retell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It's the only miracle other than the resurrection that is in all four gospels. Not only that, but Matthew and Mark record that Jesus also fed the 4,000. And that's because it's also the only miracle in which the Bible is clearly describes the disciples as not understanding what Jesus is doing. So there's this amazing miracle that Jesus does that everybody feels like we need to talk about this particular moment. It's also this moment that the disciples really don't get. And then at the end, or in John chapter 6, Right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus actually gives a sermon 
to explain to the crowd of people what the miracle is pointing to, what it represents. And as he's explaining it, rather than everybody going, oh, this is amazing, oh, Jesus, you are so much better than we thought, it's the moment where everybody, except for the disciples, abandons Jesus and stops following him. So what is it about this miracle that all the gospel writers agree we have to get this miracle? We've got to stop and pause and listen to what God needs to say to us. What is it about this miracle that is so controversial, unforgettable, and so significant? Well, we're going to read it this morning, and we're going to look to see what it has to say to us today. We're going to read from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he told the disciples to get back in the boat and leave as fast as possible. I don't know, maybe if, if we were the ones in charge of that boat, we'd have been like, let's get out of here, but, but not Jesus. He had compassion on them. And because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Can you just imagine how they might have felt right there? <laughs> like, are you kidding? Irritated, frustrated, I don't know, imagine. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they came back excited because they had five loaves and two fish. Maybe not so excited, maybe a bit crestfallen, maybe a little bit discouraged, like we told you, Jesus. It's in John's gospel where Andrew says, but what good is that? Andrew, one of the disciples. And they, the, uh, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. You can just see all the detail in this moment. This is Mark probably writing from Peter's perspective, Peter the apostle. And you can just see Peter with his eyes closed telling the story to Mark as Mark writes it. Yeah, it was late in the afternoon. Yeah, there was five loaves and two fish. That's a detail that all the gospel writers keep because they could never forget this moment. It's green grass. We're on the hillside. And there's a cool breeze blowing off the Sea of Galilee. You can just imagine Peter remembering the moment. This is a memory, not a fictional account. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And Matthew adds that there were women and 
children there as well. So 10,000, 12,000, there's just a lot of people. We're going to be looking at this passage for the next three weeks, but why one passage? Why one story? What could one story, well, how could one story be so important that we would spend three weeks on it? Well, I want to focus this around three key points that all flow out of this passage. It's so important because it's repeated. It has something to say to us. These are, this is our roadmap for the next three weeks. Tonight or today, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' compassion and what Jesus' active compassion this moment has to show us about the very nature of God. Then next week, we're going to look at Jesus' challenge when he says, you feed them, and what that has to say to us about our calling and our purpose in life as followers of Jesus. And then week three, we're going to look at Jesus' community. He just gets this vivid picture of all these people gathered together, fully satisfied, and what that has to say to us about our purpose as a church in San Diego and in the world. Are you ready for the next three weeks? Because we're going to go deep into this. And by the time we're done, I'm just hoping and praying this passage is forever burned on your mind like it was for the disciples. All right, here we go. This morning, God's nature. Are you ready for this? We're going to go so deep. I'm so excited. Well, I love to always reread the passage. So let's go to verse 32 again. Let's go back to the story. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You can just see the swelling crowd like a river in flood season growing because it was big to begin with. But as they're going to this other place in the boat and the crowd is chasing them, people from surrounding towns, Mark tells us, are joining the parade. And it's swelling and swelling. So far from getting away from the crowd, they're actually sailing to an even larger crowd. Can you imagine how the disciples might have felt there? Have you ever had a moment where you were exhausted and you found this little moment of quietness to yourself? Your cup of coffee, a good book, good lounge chair, and then someone barges in and needs some help with homework. Someone needs a ride to soccer practice. I don't know, some parent is bugging you to do more chores that you thought you already finished. You realize, oh my gosh, I gotta do this. You ever have a moment like that when you're looking to get that rest and all of a sudden something intrudes on you and sweeps you away in its chaos? That's where they're at. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. When we see Jesus, when Jesus sees them, no doubt hungry and exhausted himself, it says that he had compassion on them. Let's just talk about this word compassion for a moment and define it. The English word compassion comes from two Latin roots. All right, let's go to the next slide. The word compassion in the English, it comes from the Latin passio and com. Passio means to suffer. So we think of the passion of Christ, his suffering. Com is Latin for together. And when you put it together, you get this idea that compassion means to suffer together. Isn't that a powerful statement about the very nature of God? See, if you're not a Christian, you don't, maybe you don't understand this, but the At the very core, when God reveals himself, he reveals himself on the cross. And what is he doing on the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, among many things, it was God's expression of compassion. It was the way that God came to suffer with us. Jesus didn't just come and die in his sleep, a peaceful, easy death. 
He suffered on the cross. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was rejected. Why all the suffering? Because as Jesus is dying, he is absorbing into himself the depths of human suffering of all humanity. And what does that mean? It means that God not only knows your pain, but he feels it. It's one thing when, you, when I meet someone who's going through depression and I look at them and I don't just tell them, hey, that sounds hard. There's something special when we can say, I've been depressed too. When I was depressed and I met people who had gone through it, it was like meeting someone on a lonely desert island. And they would talk to me about how what they went through and I'd feel like I'm not alone. Jesus doesn't just know our pain. He feels it. Let's talk about that. There's a definition of compassion I want to throw up on the board. And I don't know if you noticed, but my little notes are filling the blanks. So I'm going to try to really pause, go slow so you can fill. Who likes to fill in blanks? Come on, anyone want to really just to keep themselves? This is for you. Not all of us do, but this is for you. Because I see you and I love you. And this helps you just track along and doodle. Right here, watch this. Compassion, next slide. Not going all back. Oh yeah, that's, actually, that's good. Okay, listen to this. I'll just read that a lot. Compassion is a relational process that involves noticing another person's pain, feeling an emotional reaction to his or her pain, and responding in some way to help or ease or alleviate the pain. These three, notice, feel, respond. Compassion is about being aware of other people, seeing them. And then it's about feeling something It's not about just noticing, oh, I see that they're in pain. It's about something inside of you is stirred and gripped. Compassion is emotional work, and that is the hardest work of all. But then it's not just an emotional experience. It's not just to feel bad for somebody. For compassion to reach its full maturity, it has to express itself, and there must be a response. To feel bad about something in someone's life is not compassion. It's when we are compelled to actually go do something and respond in some way to help them. That, my friends, that is compassion. So how do we see Jesus express his compassion in this passage. Let's look at the text again. And if you have your Bibles, take a look at this passage. What does Jesus do to express his compassion? I want you to take 20 seconds and share one thing from the story that stands out to you about what Jesus does in response to his compassion, okay? You ready? Turn to a friend, share one thing. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Hey, my name is Bob, my name is Mary. One thing that you remember from the story that Jesus does to demonstrate his compassion. 20 seconds. I'm going to get a bottle of water. Yeah, you get something? You get something? Come on now, people. Sunday morning, this isn't the place to come and tune out, man. I want to help us dig into it because when I'm preparing a message, this is what I do. 
I sit and look at the passage and I ask myself these questions and I start digging in and I go, how do I see it here? How do I see it here? What's here in this passage that God, I need to see that you want to show me? So let's, let's do this together as a community. Let's dig into God's word together. What do we, how do we see Jesus's compassion express itself here? Raise your hand if you want to share something. Come on. Bold, some bold people. Yes, right here in the front. Yeah, that's so good. So Mark, right away, it's very clear that when Jesus feels compassion, he begins to teach them. You know, Luke also talks about Jesus teaching, but he, he's specific. In Luke's gospel, Luke specifically points out that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. Okay, what else? Yeah, right here. That's so good. When Jesus shows up on the scene with his compassion, he provides enough for everybody. This is no first come, first serve deal. This is, I don't care if you're the very last person in line, there's going to be so much that we're going to have baskets left over. And that says a lot about God's compassion. Sometimes we approach God with a scarcity mindset. We approach God like there's not enough for all of us at the table. You ever feel like that when you see God do something amazing for somebody else? Do you ever get the feeling that, wow, look what he did for them. What about me? Ever felt that? Have you ever watched God bless somebody in some extraordinary way and felt like there was not enough of God's blessing to go around for you? Rather than like a big Thanksgiving feast, and it would be like seeing the yams at the other end. I love yams with the marshmallows and the brown sugar. And there it is at the other end of the table. And you just imagine that that those yams are down there and it would be like panicking. There's not going to be enough for me. And God's like, don't worry. Imagine the bowl gets to you and it's empty. That ever happened to you at a meal? Four boys and a girl in my family as a kid. And it was definitely a first come, first serve. There was definitely not enough. One boy could eat an entire box of cereal. We get those big tuple, I'm digressing. Imagine you get to the yams, they're empty, and Jesus is like, don't worry, I got five more platters in the kitchen. The truth is, when we see God moving in other people's life, we are tempted to think, well, that's for them, not for me. Rather than, wow, if God would do that for them, why not for me? What else about his compassion? Raise your hand. Yeah, right here. Yeah, he sees them and he's aware of their hunger. The disciples doubt that. They're not so sure that Jesus were like, oh, he's so caught up in his preacher moment. Oh, go on, preacher, that they don't think that he notices that they are hungry. But he does. In John's gospel, it says that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Okay, what else? Anything else? One over here. Yeah, over here in the, in the white. What? Yeah, he wants to give them hope. That's a huge expression of God's compassion. Where we're discouraged, where we feel defeated, where we feel there's not enough. God wants to bring us hope. And there was someone shouting out right here in the middle. Who was that? Right here, a dude. Yeah. What? Children. Yes. Tell me more about the children. Yes, he does. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. So like the scene where they're bringing, parents are bringing their children for Jesus to bless, and the disciples are like, no, dude, he's too important. Get them out of here. Go send them to youth group. We can't bring children here. They're going to be too loud and mess up the service. 
They're going to be running around and whining about stuff. Jesus is like, nah, 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 nah. Bring them to me. That's so, <laughs> so good. I want to highlight three things. There's so much more we could do. Write down some stuff in your notes, but I want to highlight three things that we learn about Jesus' compassion. Number one, it's relational. Number two, we can see that it's super practical. And number three, it's supernatural. You ready? Let's go with the first. It's relational. Um, Jesus welcomes them with his whole heart. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus sees the crowd, it says that he welcomes them, like a host inviting people into his house. Jesus doesn't go, I'm too tired. He doesn't run away. He doesn't begrudgingly um, welcome the crowd. No, you just get to see that, man, he is overwhelmed, and he wants to just take them in like a big mama bear bringing in her cubs, like a chicken mother hen bringing in her chicks. In fact, the word compassion in the Greek, let's go to the Greek. Now we're going Greek on you, okay? So you ready? The Greek word is a really funny word that I thought we would play with together. Okay, you ready? This right here, this long one, is the word splunk nizomai. Can you say that? Splunk nizomai. Gazutite. It sounds like some kind of awkward German word. It sounds like you're sneezing when you say it, right? But it comes from this other word in the Greek, splankna. Now, splankna is translated in the Bible to be entrails, intestines. It was the viscera, the inner organs. So what is this saying? But it's also used for compassion. So the idea of compassion is that it's something that is, it moves you so deeply, it grips you in the deepest parts of you. It's visceral. It's not just a passing thought of concern. It's something that grabs you in your innermost part. What does that mean? It means that Jesus carries the needs in your life so deeply personally that it grips him in his bowels. God is not annoyed, irritated with your needs and concerns. He carries it and he feels what you feel for you. It's personal. Jesus in this moment is not motivated out of duty and obligation. It's profoundly personal. And what Jesus does is motivated out of this compassion. Jesus, it says at the very end of Mark, I can't remember, like verse 42, no, at verse 45, that he sends the disciples away and Jesus stays with the crowd and dismisses everybody. So you just get this sense that Jesus is just huddling everybody and just welcoming them. Number two, it's practical. Jesus feeds them. He teaches them. He heals them. He doesn't just, you know, show up and give them an abstract teaching, but he gives them teaching to change their life. He sees their hunger and he sees their broken bodies and he addresses those needs. God knows our practical everyday needs. All throughout the Bible, God is constantly, though he's a spirit, communicating his concern and his readiness to meet us and address our most everyday needs. Think about Genesis when God is with Adam and he looks at him. It's God who goes, man, Adam, you're lonely. And it's not good that you're alone. It's God who says, come on, Adam, Cruise with me. Let's go find you a helpmate. And it's God and Adam together looking to fill that profound need for companionship. Maybe some of us feel like, man, God is concerned with you know, poverty and hunger in the world. He doesn't care about my relational needs, that I'm lonely, that 
I'm longing for a lifelong partner, that I'm longing for a close friend, or that I have a deep ache for a loved one that I've lost that has died or has left me. No, God cares about that deep loneliness. Look at God and Adam, you know, looking at, you know, he's like with Adam going, hey, what do you think about this guy? Does this feel that need? Nah, you know, the camel's not really, I'm not feeling the camel. How about the porcupine? Is that feeling that need? God already knows what he's going to do, but he's walking Adam through all the animals and they're doing it together. God wants to meet you at the places of your deepest need. And there's nothing too small or too big in your life, nothing too small that his compassion cannot reach and nothing too big that his compassion cannot ascend to. Sometimes I think there are things in our life that we have needs for. We don't bring them to God because they feel too trivial or petty. And God's like, bring it all to me. It says in the Bible, he has every hair on your head counted. He's like, man, it's to my glory that I can handle all the details of your needs and none of it burdens him. You need a parking spot? Bring that to God. Last night I made a joke about, man, you, got, you, you bring to God your receding hairline. God who cares? And so I said that last night randomly and this guy afterward goes, I did pray for my receding hairline. And he was just like, why did I like, man, God cares. Bring all your needs. Think of Moses in Exodus when God multiplied the food in the desert or brought water from the rock. How about when God took 20 loaves of bread and multiplied it and fed 100 people? Just like this moment in 2 Kings 4 with Elisha. God cares about our everyday needs. There's nothing too small and there's nothing too big. One quick story, my wife and I were at a point early in our family life when we realized we were up to our eye sockets in debt. Ever been there? (laughs) Anyone here ever been in debt? And you look at the numbers and you get this cold chill of panic through your whole body and you feel it like splunk nizomai in your intestines, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get out from underneath this. And we started just to bring the debt and our financial needs to God. And God was giving us really incredible practical wisdom on how to get out from underneath that debt. And one of the things that that God put in our hearts was do not put anything else on your credit card without talking to me first. This was a very specific command from God to us. Not that putting things on credit card is sinful, but God was saying, hey, I want you to handle it differently. So, okay, God, we'll do that. And so sure enough, God wants to give us a chance to practice what we're learning. So guess what happens? Our refrigerator breaks down. And I had never bought a refrigerator. I didn't realize how expensive those things are. You know, you just take them for granted. It's just always there, giving you what you need. And we're like, okay, we're going to pray. We're going to trust God. So we start praying, God, would you give us a fridge? We're looking. We go to Home Depot and find the floor model has a dent. And they're willing to sell it to us for, like, it it was like a $1,500 fridge. They'll sell it to us for 500 bucks. And we're like, yes, that's God. That's God. So we go home. We're so stoked. And then this really creeping thought creeps into my mind. This thought goes something like this. Yeah, but you're still putting it on your credit card. And I don't know if this is God, if this is me. I'm like, yeah, it's close enough. And then finally, I just come to terms with it. I tell my wife, you know, babe, we still can't afford this fridge. And she's like, well, we can't afford really any fridge. We don't have any money. I'm like, I know, I don't know, but let's pray and let's see what God will do. So we just took a couple days to pray about it, feeling kind of discouraged. And it felt a little bit like, you know when someone takes you out to dinner, 
they're buying the dinner, you don't order the lobster. Are you with me? It's like, how ungrateful are you? Oh, you're gonna buy dinner? Throw the lobster on that. Throw some Don Perignon on that while you're at it. You know, you just feel like an ingrate. And I felt like God had already given us so much. He'd given us this amazing deal. And I felt like now I was like, come on, God, give me a little more. And so we prayed and prayed. We had a World Cup party at our house. We had some friends over. Our friends noticed our fridge wasn't working. We told them, but we found a good deal. We're gonna get one. But then one of our friends came back. We didn't tell them we were praying. We didn't tell them how much we needed. And he just hands me a check. And he says, you know, my wife and I were praying. We got the weirdest idea that we just needed to bring you a check for $500 for a fridge. And my wife and I are all like, what, dude? We were just like, so radical, so radical. And you're thinking right now, oh, that's because he's a minister and God loves ministers more. See, there you are. Your, 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 your bowl of yams is empty and you're just thinking there's not enough. Mm. That's the thing about God's compassion this scene. It's for this huge crowd. And you know who's in that crowd? Let me tell you who. If you read the gospels, then you know who's in that crowd prostitutes, tax collectors, thieves, crooks, the lame, the blind, the poorest of the poor are running to Jesus. That's who's in that crowd. Not people who have society behind them that have anything religious status, just people who are willing to bring their hunger to God. Are you bringing your hunger to God? I think sometimes we don't bring our hunger to God because we don't really believe he cares. It's supernatural. When God brought that fridge money, it was something we could not earn ourselves. You get that? That's what this this is the simple gospel. Jesus does for the crowd what they could not do for themselves. There it is. You guys right here. This is the core of the gospel. God doing for you what you could never do for yourself. Isn't that so awesome? Why ask him to go get, why does Jesus say, go see how much you have? It was like that day when God told us, I want you to look at all your debt in the face and face it all. Jesus knew they were going to show up and not have enough. And he knows you don't have enough. You don't have enough patience with your spouse. You don't have enough love for your coworkers who annoy you. You don't have enough intelligence to, to invest better and make more money. You don't have enough moral fortitude to avoid moral pitfalls and failures in your life. You don't have enough for your children, for your parents. You don't have enough to feed, to give your family everything they're going to need for the rest of their life. You just don't have enough. You don't have enough peace to combat the anxiety that bombards your mind like storms on the dike. You don't have enough peace of mind to anchor yourself when waves of depression sleep over you. You just don't have enough. But see, God knows that. And when God asks you to take inventory of what you don't have, of what you have, and you see that it's enough, it's not to shame us. It is to set us up 
for his good news, for his supernatural provision. See, at the core of human life, we don't have enough for the life we were created to live. And deep down inside, your soul hungers for God and for eternal life. And there's nothing you can do to prevent the inevitable of your life. And that is you and me, all of us, we're all going to die. And Jesus knows that. And he's communicating here. If you will trust me and bring what you got to me, I'm going to do something for you that you could never do for yourself. Are you bringing your marriage to God? Are you bringing your children to God? Some of us are, and maybe you're like the disciples and you feel like, gosh, God, come on, do something. People are getting hungry. And God is testing the limits of your faith on his compassion. Do you trust that if your heart is breaking for your children, how much more is his? It is supernatural. Listen to this, guys. I gotta say this. This is what does this tell us about God? What does all this say to us about God's nature? You ready? This is so awesome. I've been waiting to tell you this. You ready? <laughs> Get this. Number one, all this tells us that God's compassion is holistic and it's wholehearted. You know what that means? His compassion for you includes every area of your life, your careers, your bodies, your mind, your spirit, your relationships, your parking spots, your wardrobe, every part of it. Nothing is too small for him. He just loves it all. He's concerned about the starving people in the world, and he's concerned about you finding your parking spot. Why? Because he's a father. And when one of our children is struggling in life, that doesn't take away our compassion and love for our other children. You know, you ever have a kid who's struggling in something? It doesn't mean you don't have compassion and love for your other kids, even if it's not as serious as this person's. Because our love is overflowing for all of our kids. And your father loves you. And his love and compassion is holistic. There's no off limits for God. Number two, it's wholehearted. What does that mean, it's wholehearted? That means he, he cares about everything in your life, and he brings everything in him to bear on that situation. He engages everything about us with everything that he is. He holds nothing back. He doesn't just observe your need from a comfortable distance in heaven. He has come down, and he has clothed himself with your pain and hunger so that he could become a perfect high priest interceding for you. He earned the right to meet you in your darkest night, in your lowest pit, in your greatest need. He earned that right because he came and he suffered with us. In Exodus 34, 6, here we go. Listen to this, Exodus 34. Oh, I didn't get to this last night. It says this. So this is a moment where God is revealing himself. It's a crazy moment. I want you to picture a mountain thundering and shaking with the roar of God's presence. I want you to imagine a mountain surrounded by black smoke and consumed in unapproachable flame. Can you imagine that? 
All the people of Israel huddled at the bottom, but ascending to the top of that mountain is a man. His name is Moses. And he's going into the mountain. He's going into the heart of the fire. And as he goes into the heart of the fire, God himself descends on the mountain. This is the moment that Moses prayed for. Show me your glory. And God is going to show Moses and the world his glory. He's going to show us what he's really made of. And when God comes down and in fire, in thunder and smoke and in trembling and in roaring, God walks on that mountain and he says, the, and the first thing that he says about himself is this, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I mean, think about it. The flaming white-hot core of God's very nature. He doesn't say God who knows everything. God who's so powerful. Things that we esteem as a culture. God who owns everything in the world. Now, when God comes down in his glory, the first thing he says is compassion. This is the flaming hot core of God's character, which that means, what means is, is that in every moment you've experienced compassion, every moment where you've been touched by someone's kindness, that is the radiance of this white hot center. When we wake up in the morning, we feel the sun on our back, lighting up and illuminating the flowers and the grass of the field. It all comes from the sun. It doesn't come from the sky. It doesn't come from the lights in our, in our house. It comes from the sun. And when you experience these little moments of compassion, that is coming from this moment. It comes from the heart of God. At the heart of God is compassion. In John six twenty six, I want to invite the band to come on out. John six twenty six. Jesus wants to take all of us into that white hot center. Jesus wants to bring us into the core of God's heart. Listen to what he says to the crowd when he goes to explain this miracle. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. See, guys, the crowd didn't get the miracle because they were so focused on getting their stomachs filled, they didn't get what that hunger for food was pointing to. Beneath every hunger in our life is our hunger for God. Did you know that? Your hunger for a companionship, your hunger and longing for certainty in your future and for a career, your need for more money in your bank account, your need for forgiveness, your need for more peace of mind, all of this. What Jesus says, your hunger for food is your hunger for me. Because separated from God, our soul's yearning for God is echoed in every manifestation of need and longing, physical, emotional, relational, interrupt. Every need in our life has one purpose, and that is to put us in touch with our deep desire for God. You see, God cares about your body. He cares about your life. He cares about your hairline. He just wants to give you more. Because your soul hungers for him. Jesus says, 
look, guys, I don't want to just give you bread. I am bread, and God wants to give you himself. More than anything else, our souls hunger for God. Our souls hunger for God. Maybe there's some place of pain, some place of longing in your life. God cares, and he wants to meet you in that need. But more than that, God wants to use that place in your life to awaken your soul to its hunger for him, to put you in touch with your deep desire for him. Will you bring your hunger to God? Is there some place in your life that God is saying, bring that to me? finish with uh, bringing our hearts to God when Jesus talks about this bread that the people say sir always give us this bread then Jesus declared I am the bread of life I am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats this bread will live forever This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. When Jesus stretched out his arms and was crucified, his body was broken, that his life might be multiplied, not 5,000 times, but infinitely times over for you. When you bring him your five loaves and two fish, when you bring him your life, 
He will take it and he will multiply it infinitely times over what you could have ever done for yourself. That's, this is the gospel. Jesus was broken and crucified, rose from the dead so that you would know that when you bring him your life, you were going to come face to face with unfathomable, inexhaustible, unconditional compassion. And then when you give him your life, he's going to multiply your life with his own. Maybe this morning you've been clinging to your five loaves and two fish because it's all you got. Your best effort, your best thoughts, your best plans. But God's like, how much longer are you going to hold out on your best when your best is not even 10th best on God's list? When are you going to say, God, I'm bringing you my life. I'm bringing you my marriage. I'm just going to bring you my children. I'm going to bring you my career, my future, because God, I need you to multiply it with your life. I need you, God. If you want to bring your hunger to God, there's some place in your life where you are hungering for God's compassion, then I want to invite you to stand up for a moment. We're going to pray. And as you stand, you are acknowledging in front of this whole room your need for God, your hunger for God. You're like that crowd of people who's not afraid to run. I mean, that crowd didn't walk. They didn't sneak in. They weren't afraid or embarrassed. They were in an all-out sprint, sprinting to find Jesus on the other side of the shore. When we come here on Sunday morning, we're not just here to learn something new about God. We are here to respond to the invitation of the Spirit of God. We are here to respond to God and to open up our life in some fresh way so that God can demonstrate the glory of his compassion in some specific and new way in our life. Let's just put our hands up to God. Offer up to God your life. Offer up to God the hunger in your life. Offer up to him whatever he is asking you to bring to him. Wherever you're feeling your need for God, just offer it to him. And I want to encourage you out loud just to pray out what you want to ask God for. Just pray it out. Let's just pray, God, we bring to you our families. We bring to you our marriages. We bring to you our children. We bring to you, come on, bring it out to God. We bring to you our bodies. We bring to you cancer. We bring to you lower back pain. We bring to you receding hairlines. We bring to you bulging stomachs around the waistline. God, we bring to you our yearning for our future, college and missions. We bring to you our bank accounts. God, we bring to you our unsaved family and friends. God, we bring to you this city. God, we bring to you the world. We bring to you the political atmosphere in our country. just going to give you a moment of quietness before God. Just bring God your heart.
I bless you this week to run to the feet of Jesus with every hunger and need in your life. I bless your confidence in his compassion to be renewed right now in Jesus' name. Despair, get out of this room. Discouragement, get out of here. Fear, get out. Unbelief, you have no place here anymore. I command you to burn up in the white hot heat of God's compassion. I bless people in this room who are far from God to come closer to Jesus than they've ever been in their life. And I bless our hunger for God to increase and know there's no hunger too deep that God cannot fill. And may God fill and satisfy the deepest places of hunger in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.